0: How about we just spend a moment opening in a word of prayer together? Would you go ahead and just bow your heads with me? Father, we come and we ask that you would speak to us. God, we come as we are. Uh, Most of us would admit that we are far from perfect. Um, Most of us would admit that we need help from time to time. God, that we need you in our life. and uh, So God, we, we ask that you would speak to each one in this room. God, Speak, O God, for your child is listening. Amen? Now, life is funny sometimes. When you're in school, you take all these tests, right? And what do you do before a big test? You study, right? And if you have a good teacher, that teacher helps you study by giving you what? A review, right? They give you a review. They go over what you what you've learned so that you can pass the stupid thing when you take the test. So, am I right? And, and this is just sort of how, how it works. But, but you don't just want to pass. You want to ace the stupid thing. And so you, you really study hard. You, you review everything that you, you've learned. But here's what's funny to me is that most of us spend countless hours. We spend countless amount of time uh, reviewing stuff now that we can't remember Now we can't even use the thing, or we don't use the thing. And let's just be honest, we don't even care about it, right? And yet we have spent countless hours in our lives studying and reviewing and studying some more and reviewing some more. Am I right? And and, I mean, you think about this. Like, I remember growing up, we had to study the formula for pie. And I'm not talking about grandma's apple pie, because that's like a different kind of formula. That's like a recipe, and that's a good thing. And that's a, that's a different kind of a thing and a good kind of a different kind of a thing. But, but this idea for, for pi, we had to study it and, and go over it and review it and all that. And it had something to do, if I remember correctly, with like the relationship between the circumference and the diameter of, of a circle and trying to figure out the area of a circle. Anybody remember this? I don't even care about it. I don't even know, and I don't even remember what it's about, right? But it's part of the deal. But I remember studying it and reviewing it and going over and over and over and being tested on it. I remember being tested and studying for and reviewing the Battle Battle of Waterloo. You all remember the Battle of Waterloo, right? It's monumental in your life, right? I can't even remember who fought in the dang war or what it was about or who won or anything like that but we studied it like crazy. And then they told me that we had to learn a periodic table and it would be life-changing for me. Do you remember this? They gave you like these review cards and, sit and like you sat there like you had these review and you had to remember like, I don't even remember how many were on the chart. How many are on the chart? I have no idea, really, honestly. And I'm not saying this stuff isn't important to some of y'all because probably it's really, I mean, the periodic table to some of you is like really important stuff. I get it, you know? But I'm just saying for me, the only thing I remember out of the periodic table is gold is on there somewhere. And gold is for rich people. And if you get a bunch of gold, you get rich. And I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. I'd like some of that kind of periodic table. You know what I mean? But this is just the nature of life. Here's my point, is that it's funny how we spend years and years and years, countless hours studying and reviewing and studying and reviewing for stuff that we don't even really care about now. But when the real test of life comes, here's what's funny to me. When the real test of life when it comes your way we spend very little time studying and reviewing. We spend very little time going back and remembering the decisions that we made that were designed to take our lives somewhere, that were designed to put us on a trajectory, that were designed to take our lives up into the right or to where we really wanted to go in life. See, what happens is is trouble comes, trial comes, life kind of comes our way, and and we begin to fall apart, and we never go back, and and we never remember, we never review the important stuff of life. And and it's my guess is, is that most of us in this room, nearly every single one of us in this room have made life-defining decisions, life-defining moments where, where we've set a new direction for who we want to become, for who we want to be, about, about our faith, about where we want our life to end up. We've made these defining moments. And, and for many people, even in this room tonight, you made decisions even in this room. Maybe something was being taught or presented, or maybe there was a moment that, and this may sound weird to some of y'all, but, but you heard something from God that was designed to take your life somewhere. But here's what happens to almost every one of us. You know what happens? Life happens to every one of us. Hurry happens to every one of us. Um, uh, Change happens to every one of us. Bills come our way. Uh, Trouble comes our way. Health uh, Health issues come our way. Family issues, relational issues, marriage issues, they come our way. And listen, all of it, causes us to forget those defining moments that we had. Because for many in this room, my guess is you'll agree, you had a moment where you said, this is what my life is going to be about. This is who I want to become. This is who I want to be. I'm not going back there anymore, or over there anymore, or over there anymore. What I want to do is go there. And there was a new direction in your life. But we forget We forget. We study for tests. And if you're a student here, study for the test. But the tests of life are way bigger. And God wants us to remember. God wants us to go back and to hear his voice again. To remember what he's already told you. John 14, 26 says this idea that That the helper, and who's the helper? The Holy Spirit, it says. The helper will come, and he will remind you, listen, of what God has taught you. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. We're to remember what God has taught us. And so here's what I want to do. I I just want to read a a passage of Scripture. Just let me read something to you. And then I'm going to play a little video. For you, And then we're going to celebrate communion and remember communion tonight. Is that okay? So here's what I want to do. I want to read to you from one of my all-time favorite books in the entire Bible. It's the book of Joshua. Uh, If you ever feel discouraged, if you ever feel like um, like life is just too challenging for you, if it's too big for you, I just cannot encourage you enough to go back and and read the book of, of Joshua. It'll put things in perspective because God is never far from you. He's never far. He goes with you always. And this is the theme in the book of Joshua. But we have to remember what God has taught us. And so in the book of Joshua, it it records the moment where the leadership of Israel goes from the man named Moses to the man named Joshua. In the book of Joshua, it records the moment that the people completed their 40 years of wandering in the desert. And some of y'all in this room feel like you're wandering in the desert for 40 years. That's a terrible place to be. Anybody with me on that? You feel like you're spinning your wheels, anybody? Well, the people of Israel had spun their wheels for 40 years, and that was coming to an end, and this is the moment that it's recorded in the Scripture. We're going to read it together, where they, that God brings them to the very edge of the land that was promised to them, to their home, to where they would build not only their families, but they would build a nation together. They brought them to the promised land, and this is the moment we're going to read where God takes the people across the Jordan River into the land that he was about to give them. So let me just read this to you and then I'm gonna make a couple comments and then I'm gonna play this video. So here it goes. Uh, It says this, chapter Chapter four, verse one, it says, when all the nations had finished passing over the Jordan, remember Israel was made up of 12 tribes. They called them 12 nations. It's one nation, but 12 different states if you want to think of it like that. It says, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them saying, take 12 stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where where you were going to lodge tonight, where you're going to sleep tonight. And so pause for a second. You get get the picture here. There's like a million people have just crossed over this river that separates the wilderness experience to the promised land. So they crossed over. They're all on the other side. And God says to Joshua, the leader, he says, now hold up, hold up. We're going to do something. You're going to send 12 people, one from each tribe, and you're going to send them back into the river. And you're going to pick up these stones, right? And you're going to bring them back over to where you're going to sleep tonight. That's where we're at, okay? And and so Joshua says to the people... Excuse me, I'll go back to verse four. It says, then Joshua called 12 men from, from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan and, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel. This, uh, that this will be a sign among you. When your children ask in time, in time to come, when they ask in the future, what do these stones mean? then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And when the people, when it had passed over uh, the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And so in other words, God stopped the flow of the river. He's saying, you're going to tell your children when they see this little, this little pile of 12 stones, you're going to tell your children, what's a pile of 12 stones for? There was a time that we were on the other side of that river. And we couldn't get all of our stuff and all of our people and all of our carts and all of our children and all of the things that we were dragging through the desert. We couldn't get them across the land. But God cut off the flow of the Jordan. The river stops. It dries up somewhere upstream. And now the land is dry. And we crossed over. And these rocks were in the middle of the stream. When life was hard, right in the middle of it all, We picked up these rocks and we laid them here to remind us of something, to remind us that God is good. And it says this, and the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded. And they took the 12 uh, 12 stones out of the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord had told Moses, or Joshua, excuse me. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged, and they laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan, in the place where the uh, the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. That's interesting. He has 12 stones set up where they were going to sleep. But he also has 12 stones that are set up in the middle of the Jordan. Nobody's ever going to see them again because the water's going to come rushing back over and they're going to be gone forever. Maybe there's a symbolic moment there saying, listen, you're going to leave your past behind. But you're also going to remember your past. Come on. Isn't that the Christian faith? Isn't that what faith is all about? So check this out. It says says, so and Joshua set up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan, in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the uh, priest had stood uh, with the ark uh, until everything was finished, that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people according to all that, so basically they did all this stuff, then it says this, then the people passed over in haste. The people passed over in haste. And when all the people had finished passing over the ark of the Lord and the priest passed over before the people. Okay, so now they're on the move again. They're getting ready to go. They're they're packing up. Okay, we slept for the night. Now let's go. We're going to move. And it's going to be hurry up time. Y'all get this? We're we're moving. Why are they moving in a hurry? Because now they're going into foreign land. Now they're going into enemy territory. Now this means like you better have your battle stations ready because life, you think it was hard out there? It's hard here too. But God is going to go before us. Just remember what he has done for us. So listen what it says. this is interesting, and when all the people had finished passing over, and the Ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people, the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh passed over and, uh, uh, passed over, armed before the people of Israel. So the first people that went over were the armed men, right? They sent the troops in first, right and then it says, as Moses had told them, about forty thousand men were ready for war, passed over before the Lord, before the Lord. Um, before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. So now they got 40,000 men passed over. And here's what I think about this whole thing. And this is gonna help us to remember what God has done, I think. So you get this picture that they're in this move. They have 40 years of wandering, like figuring out life. They're trying to follow God. And, and, and people, if you remember the story, they're so rebellious at times. Sometimes they're like, yay, God. And other times they're like, forget you, God. Anybody in the room ever like that? <laughs> Right, And so they come to the edge of the Jordan. And right there, Moses is saying, over there. Joshua's saying, over there. Now the leadership goes from Moses to Joshua. And Joshua says, all right, enough staying on this side. It's time to claim the promise. We're going in. So he sends first the priest out into the middle of the river. He says, that's the first thing. God goes before us. They're in the middle of the river. And they're standing in the middle of it all. Boom, the water gets cut off. (laughs) Water gets cut off. A whole bunch of people go f- over. Who goes first? The armed men. They go first. They're, they're going, checking out, getting ready for battle, right? And then he goes, uh, hold on. Before we go anywhere, you, 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 and you, all 12 of you, you go back into the river. You go back there, and you pick out the biggest, baddest stone that you could possibly carry. You put it up on your shoulder. And you come here, and you pile that sucker up. You pile it up. You pile it up high. And one day, our kids are going to say, what's that pile all about? That pile is all about what God has done for us. It's about remembering. And then it says, once they remembered, then they hurried off in haste with the armed men going before them. And to me, it's like God is saying, once you remember God, once you put God in the middle of it all, once you figure out where God is in your life, then you're ready for battle. Y'all hear me on this? Then you're ready for the claim of the promised land. Then you're ready to move forward in your life. But before we can move forward, we often have to look backwards. We got to remember what God has spoken to us. We got to remember the things that we've committed to, the things that we know we're right, because every single one of us in this room have had a moment where God has spoken into your life, even if you're not even sure you believe. I still think God has still spoken to you and said, this is where your life ought to head. This is who you ought to become. This is the character, the integrity. This is the person, the faith I want to develop inside of you. And I believe every single person has had that moment with God already in this room. And he's spoken to you. But we forget it. We move off in haste. Well, the scripture teaches us don't forget. Don't forget what God has spoken to you. And so what I wanna do over the next several minutes is I wanna play you a video, a recap of last year as a church. Because I do believe that God has made a difference in a whole bunch of people's lives through our little church here. And we're going to watch this video as a way of remembering, as a way of celebrating, as a way of, of, of asking God to put these commitments down deep in our soul again. So listen with an open heart. Watch with an open heart. And remember what God has taught us together. I want to be a church where people, all people can take next steps. All people toward God, no matter who they are, what they've done, that they can take next steps toward God and with God. And do you know what I mean by all people? I mean, everybody, I mean, everybody, all people. And what I mean by everybody is this. I mean, religious people and non-religious people. I mean, people who are really good at sinning, and people who live like saints. I want both to be able to take next steps toward God and with God here. I want a place where, where it doesn't matter your past, where it doesn't matter who you come from or what people group you're part of, where white people and black people and Latino people and rich people and poor people and everybody in between in a mix of it all can take next steps toward God and with God. Amen? We're, we're, we're married people and single people, and young people, and old people, and straight people, and gay people can all take next steps toward God and with God. I want to be that kind of church where all people realize that they matter to us, and that they matter to God. church is the hope of the world. Education is so important. Healthcare so important. Money so important. Vocational things so important. It's all very important. But listen, the church holds the breath of God. Whoever calls on God, whoever turns their life over to God, God will meet them and God will save them. And to me, this is what I believe. And this is what a whole bunch of us in this room believe. We believe this is the good news of God, that no matter where you've been, if you turn your heart toward him, he will stop and listen, and he will forgive, and he will, he will do a work inside of you that you never thought possible.
1: Earlier this year, one of the messages that spoke a lot to me <coughs> and my wife was the series Uncomfortable. When the message came across to get uncomfortable, get out of your skin, push your limits, um, it really challenged me. It challenged me and my wife. Uh, we wanted to get involved in the church somehow, but we were comfortable. And so we've tried our, our hands in different things, and through it we've met a lot of great people. Uh, we've both grown really spiritually, and it really moved us in a good direction. And now I'm happy to be uncomfortable.
0: Well, it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But check this out. Then he goes, But how then can they call on the one they have not even believed in? How can they believe in the one they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And this is possibly the most spiritually uncomfortable truth presented in God's word. That there is a time and a place in all of our lives without exception, that we are called to share our deepest faith and our greatest hope. And and let's just be honest, for many people in this room, probably for most people in this room, the idea of opening your mouth and actually speaking of the name of Jesus freaks us right out. We got to get this because at the end of the day, our mission is not to connect people to, to a song, our mission is not to connect people to a band our mission is not to connect people to a preacher a speaker, a church, a youth group our mission is not to connect people even to a set of values or principles or even a set of core beliefs you realize this our mission is to connect people to a savior his name is Jesus and friends listen a song has never changed anybody's eternity A preacher has never changed anybody's eternity. A Christian book has never changed anybody's eternity.
2: Only Jesus can do that. In August, Pastor Jay talked about next steps. He talked about Peter. He was walking on the water as he stepped out of the boat. And for a little bit, he was walking on water. But he started to look at the storm around him. And he began to sink. But somehow, in some way, he takes his eyes off the Savior, and he puts them on the storms of life. I don't know if you've ever done that, but I have. I took my eyes off of Jesus, not for a moment like Peter, but for a matter of years. I continued to go to church, but I was living in a raging storm. In the storm? Of your life.
0: That is where God shows up. I mean, if you were to track through the pages of the Scripture, it is
2: unmistakable that God meets us best in the middle of adversity. When I was 18, I met my husband, and I was married a few days after my 20th birthday. By the time I was 30, I had four little ones, and life got really, really busy. And it got so busy that I, I just didn't seem to have time for prayer life or Bible reading. Without realizing it, I began living on my own strength. I began to get very cynical. In my early 40s, I just felt disappointment with the church, with the people around me. My expectations in my marriage were not being met. Life was not going according to my plans. For anything that's good in life, it takes work
0: to make it happen. And friends, let me tell you something. This is what I'm learning in my relationship with God. It's the exact same thing. If I want to become all who God wants me to become, I got to want it. That's where it starts. I got to desire it. I got to want it enough to work at it. I got to want it enough to make a sacrifice. I got to want it enough to risk much. I got to want it enough to stand tall in the face of adversity. I got to want it enough even
2: to start over. When I fail. Before the message, I was still struggling with fitting in that prayer time. You know, it's such a struggle to, to make that work. Even though my kids are grown and out of the house, I used to use that as the excuse. The kids are, you know, keeping me busy. There's always somebody to change a diaper or get some breakfast or, you know, the doctor visits and all of that. And I just have struggled with that all my life knowing what I should be doing but just not finding the time to do it you will never become all that God wants you to
0: become if it doesn't start with a burning desire in you to know him, to love him to pursue him, to want more of him in your life
2: that is where it begins I could identify with Peter I knew that I too like Peter had failed but Peter went on, and Peter grew, and and God used him. And I knew that I wanted to be used, too.
0: What is your next step with God? What
2: is your next step? What will help you to grow? So since August, since that message, I've just been determined to find that time to to fit in Jesus and, and fit him in in the beginning of the day. It's not a
0: story of risk only.
2: It's a story of obedience. Will you follow what God calls you to follow? And so I'm willing to take the next steps, whatever whatever it means, wherever it leads, because I know that wherever it leads, he's going to be with me.
3: There is a law that operates in the world. It's, a, it's called the law of consequences. Now, I call it a law because there's nothing you can do about it. It exists whether you want it to or not. This is just how the world works. Now, I've been reading a book lately by a guy named Steve Farrar. And here's what he says about this. He says, Deeply ingrained into the fabric of all creation is a law that every action must have a reaction. There are no exceptions to the rule. Every choice in life, every thought, every word, every action brings a return of circumstances with it. This is a law. And so ignoring this law, ignoring the law of consequences has been the cause of more broken dreams, more broken relationships, more broken families, more broken bank accounts, and more all around broken lives than almost any other thing. And here's how it happens. You want to know how
1: someone goes sex crazy? You want to know how someone ruins their life sexually? It's simply this, just one step, one small step at a time. And this makes sense because if you think about it, like no one wakes up and is like, man, I would love to just ruin my life. Right? You, like you don't wake up and say that. Like there's no guy that woke up today and was like, you know what? I would love a strange dude to raise my kids. Hello. Hello. Right, like that—that would—that would just not what happens, right? There's no woman in here wakes up and is like, you know, what? I would love to just go outside of my marriage and just embarrass my husband. That—that that would be great. Like, let's do that. Let's let's nail that down. Can we get that in writing? Like, no, no one does that. Like, no teenager decides, you know what? Um, <clears throat> it's Saturday. Let's go get an STD. Just a great, a great idea. You know, let's go. just get pregnant. Hey, baby, hello. Like, I got mommy and daddy's insurance. Thank you, Obama. We're gonna be on that till I'm 26. Get a kid now. We gotta get that. Um, that—that that doesn't happen, right? Like we all get this mentality, but why, right? How does it happen that we all end up so messed up and there's there's this ruin in our lives? I'm telling you, it's not because we land and ruin our lives all at one time, but it happens little bit by little bit by little bit. One small step, one small step where we literally start to think about it. We start to take next steps and we start to sing about it. And we go, well, the songs don't swear just Taylor Swift, is fine. But one step to another step, to another step, to another step, and next thing you know, we're in places we never wanted to be because I'm telling you, the way people ruin their life sexually is not all at once. You don't wake up and just snap. Listen to me, it's one small step after another small step after another small step, and small steps lead to bigger steps that put you in places
0: that literally ruin your life. Can you imagine the final moments before death? Many of us have been around somebody's final moments, but all of us have seen a movie where somebody is about to breathe their final breath. Now, I want you to imagine this with me. Imagine that you've been found guilty of a terrible crime. You've maintained your innocence all the way through, but in your heart, in your soul, you know you're guilty. And now you're standing at death's door. The noose is swaying in the breeze gently behind you and you're about to mount the makeshift platform and the hangman is about to kick the lift out from underneath you so that you fall to your death. What's going through your mind in this moment? What's racing through your hearts? What do you say in moments like this? Do 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 you say something profound? Maybe something funny? Or do you defend yourself until your final breath? jesus cries out my god my god why have you forsaken me it was because he was experiencing the brokenness of his relationship with the father for the first time in his life you see up until this point he was in right and perfect relationship with god all the way through he had never done anything to turn the father's heart away to sadden the father's heart and in this moment because of my sin his relationship with the father is broken And he feels the full brunt of that broken relationship for the first time in all of eternity. He feels what it feels like to live like you and I live like. To feel separated from God. And then he cries out a single Greek word. To us, to you, and to me, when we read it in English, it's three words. But when Jesus utters it, he utters it in Greek. And it's a single word. But it's a word that expresses everything that needed to be expressed. It says everything that needed to be said. It's one word to end all other words that he has ever spoken. It's one word that frees us. It is one word that, that literally gives us life. It is one word that brings us freedom and forgiveness and redemption. He says, Which says, which is, It is finished. It's not not an expression or a a gurgle of of defeat. It's not an expression that death has finally won. It's not an expression that says, oh, I can't take this anymore. I can't go on anymore. It's not an I give up an expression type of it is finished. It is a cry of victory. It is a cry towards life. Listen, friends, it is a cry, not a defeat, but a cry of victory where he has won. Where he has won because in this moment he knows what has been accomplished. It is finished.
4: So the Simplified series uh, really spoke to me in that um, it made me think about the things in my life that I needed to get rid of, um, the things in my life that um, maybe didn't need to be there anymore. I'm just thinking about the time that I spend doing different things and where the value lies in the time that I'm spending, um, maybe spending more time with my family or with my kids rather than um, doing things that just were unimportant
0: maybe the opposite of simplicity is not the complex, maybe the opposite of simplicity is this thing called hurry, because hurry I think this is really true it is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day Hurry is the great en- enemy of the spiritual life. I really believe this to be true. I know it's true in, in my life, and I bet it's true in yours. I really do. I bet it's true. If you were to examine that hurry is is the enemy of your soul, it absolutely is. Um, You see, if you're like me at all, I have the best of intentions to connect deeply with God. I have the best of intentions to have a soul connection with my father. I want to do life very, very intimately with him. I want to be connected to him. But hurry destroys that. Hurry destroys our soul. Hurry can keep us from living well, can't it? You ever feel like that? I mean, you want to do something well, just one thing well? Does anybody want to do that? And and yet, this thing called hurry, it robs you of that. And I think you get this internally. That if you live way over here all the time, if it's overwhelmed, overscheduled, exhausted all the time, pegged to the max all the time, listen friends, it will not end well spiritually for you. You will miss God's best for your life. You may get a lot of things done, and you may accomplish a lot of great things in this life. But friends, it is almost guaranteed that you will miss what God wants to do inside of you. You will miss his greatest work inside of you. But seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added to you. There's there's a key to this soul rest. There is this key to simplicity and it's seeking first the kingdom of God. If we want to be a, we want to have this simple life, this this simple soul. It boils down to one thing: it's seeking first the kingdom of God, putting God first in your calendar.
4: So earlier this year, Pastor Jeremy preached a um, Vision Twenty Fifteen message, and I was so fired up. He started talking about uh, how we want to become a church where we don't expect people on the outside to look like people on the inside, but people on the inside with the power of the Holy Spirit become transformed so that we're able to reach people on the outside. And that just gave me such uh, an amazing vision for what I wanted to do with my own life and what I was hoping to be able to lead other people into. And then later on, he uh, preached another message. Uh, It was called, This is How We Do It. It was our value series, and he preached on truth. And God I just used those two messages uh, to intermingle truth in my own life and give me such a a vision and a desire to see each one of us growing in our relationship with the Lord and really um, working to become imitators of Christ and uh, the power of the Holy Spirit truly changing us um, for His glory and to reach the world. I remember sitting there in the audience thinking, I would change my life. To be a part of this and little did i know but a few months later i would have an opportunity to come on staff here and literally be a part of that vision unfolding through the next steps uh, sessions that we do i'm so grateful
5: i remember uh, one of the series heaven versus hell it stuck out to me because it had probably one of the most hilarious videos at the front where lucifer and gabriel were in a race And Lucifer was being cocky at the end and and was not crossing the finish line and a truck hit him and he says the brakes on the left and then it it rains but what was really amazing to me was as silly as that video was the message was so serious and specifically talking about how God's wrath was there because it was really showing us God's love for us and uh, without God's wrath and, and how we deal with the person of Jesus Christ who God loves infinitely, um, we wouldn't understand how important God's love for Jesus was. So I was glad to know that by accepting Jesus as my Savior, I can avoid God's wrath. And uh, what an amazing gift God give, gave to us, which is Jesus.
3: We were created to share the Father's love for Jesus. So if we join God in loving Jesus... We get eternal life and joy. But if we refuse to join God in loving Jesus, all that's left for us is his wrath. A loving God creates hell to express his love for what he loves most. A loving God creates hell to express his supreme love for his son. So in some weird way, according to the biblical mindset, Hell is actually an expression of God's love. It is not inconsistent with his love.
5: The last year here at Metro was a growth year for me, uh, especially the, uh, the series The Enemy. When I first became a Christian, I thought, oh, my, my problems are over. But I realized they're just beginning. The devil is after you. He wants your soul. Let me
0: tell you something. I am a Christian. I believe in what the Bible says. I believe that there is good, and I believe that there is evil in this world. I believe that there is God, and I believe that there is a devil. I believe that there are demons, and I believe that there are angels. I believe that there is a supernatural battle all around us. This means that the power that rose Jesus from the grave is at work in your life. do you hear this, that, that he begins to change every part of who you are? He renews you. He rethinks you. He gets you to, he, he gives you a whole different level of peace. He gives you a whole different level of understanding. He gives you a whole different level of joy. He gives you a whole different level of, of completion in your life, of hope in your life. He gives you a whole new perspective of who you are. And listen, friends, he has the power of God is released into your life because of him. You're able to overcome things that have held you for years. You're able to change the way you think, to change the way you act, change the way you react. He's, he's able to change your marriage, your relationship with your kids. It is the Holy Spirit's work in you that rebirths you, gives you another crack at it.
4: So, one of my defining moments of 2015 was probably just this past October when we did a Halloween party for Fuel. And what was cool about this Halloween party is that um, we actually did three generation Halloween parties. We did one for Alive, then Monster Pong for Unite, and then the Fuel Halloween party. And it was so cool because as we were separate, we were so together at the same time as we had college students who were serving in our our, uh, middle school ministry. We had college students serving in our high school ministry, high schoolers serving in our middle school ministry. we seemed just as perfectly to go as one ministry, one generation. We really got to see our vision played out in our generation ministry. So 2015 was a great year for me. I work at Baxter's, so I really, I love it there. And through Baxter's, I really started getting involved in the youth group. And I've met the most amazing people there. They're just so uplifting and so godly and they help me with my relationship with God. They help me through it. They can answer my questions and they can understand where I'm coming from with a lot of the stuff.
5: 2015 was an adventure. Uh, It was incredible being here at Metro, locking arms with the people in Generations Ministry, growing community with life groups. But my favorite moments came from these reach global trips that I was able to be a part of. One night when we were in this small little church, there was this time of prayer where literally every single person on the team were in tears, praying for the families of the Colombians that they had just met, and the Colombians in turn praying for them and their families. It was just a beautiful moment to see the Holy Spirit moving through everyone there. People are encountering God in new ways, and this is something that I was praying for, that uh, our team uh, of mostly high schoolers would just experience God in a new way. So that was a super incredible moment. I'm so thankful for all the awesome memories and things that took place in 2015. And one of the coolest things for me over the the year of 2015, is just watching people's lives change through the Renew Ministry, which is our recovery ministry here at Metro. Guys like Sean Smith and and Matt Melly and and Lynette Byers. You know, these people are now becoming, have, have become leaders because their lives have changed so much. They, they used to be in so much chaos, but, but now, man, their lives are, are pointed towards Christ and they're, and they're running towards Christ. And for, uh, for, for me to watch that is just incredible, to watch that happen.
0: We are going to risk much in order to reach more, and we are going to do this together. We are going to risk much in order to give the gospel of Jesus, the grace of God to more and more people around us. And friends, we are gonna figure out how to do this together as one community of faith. Friends, when you walk into this place, I gotta be honest, my, my goal is to light a fire in your soul. It's so that when you come in here that you experience something different than anywhere else in culture, that when you come into this place that there is something radically different, that you go, "Oh my goodness, I'm running into God himself." See, this idea of passion is that we want to be a people who passionately pursues the heart of God. We want to be a people that passionately pursues the presence and the power of God in our life. We want people to know that we really believe what we do believe. to our video team, right? I mean, they put it together. I don't know what God has done in you, but he calls you to remember him every step of the way so that when the real test of life comes, you won't be blown. You won't be moved. That you'll be anchored in the truth of of who God is, that you will know his power, his strength, his authority in your life. He will be your constant. He will be your everything. 2015 was a good year for some of us, even though we think we had a lot of hard times. God did not leave you alone. He has spoken to you. Remember what he has done. And so here's what we're going to do to end our time together today. You know, back in Joshua's day, God spoke to the people and said, pile up a thing of rocks and let that be a way to remember. In our day, Jesus left for his church, for you and for me, he says, you're going to do something else to remember me you're going to participate in what we now call Holy Communion. You're going to remember me by taking from my body and drinking of my blood, what represents my body and my blood. And you're going to do this in order to remember me. And so my invitation to you as we get ready to take communion will be for you to examine your soul Paul warns us in the scripture to come to the communion table with a heart that is contrite before God, that is humbled before God. Not perfect, not sinless, but repented before God. Humble before him. Acknowledging his work in your life. My invitation to you is to examine your soul and then to remember who it is that you want to become. Who it is that's going to take you there. To remember what God has spoken into your life. Trust him. Follow him. Don't be moved away from him. And so here's how we're going to do it. As the band gently leads us, I would invite you to stand. We'll stand as one congregation, as one people. Maybe you need to sit, I don't know. But the idea is that they're going to play and you're going to have a moment where you can reflect on your own soul, where you can do business with God on your own. And then I would invite you to come to the front of the stage or against the back wall. There's two stations as well. We have four up here. But you will come and you will take the bread that represents the body of Christ that has been broken for us. crucified for us and then you'll dip it in the juice it represents the blood of Christ blood shed so that our sin would be covered the blood of Christ the red flow of the blood of Christ literally makes our sin as white as snow it's deeply spiritual it's God doing a work inside of us that we cannot do for ourselves and so you'll dip the bread into the juice and maybe if you want, you can move off to one side or the other or maybe even take it back to your seat. And if you need to talk to the Lord, then you'll, you'll spend time talking to the Lord. Maybe you'll just stand right here. We'll wait for each other. That's fine. Maybe some you'll just come and you've already done business with God and you'll just participate and then you'll go back to your seat. But I'm gonna ask that you not leave the room until we have seen each other served that we wait on one another, that we are one church together where each man and each woman can do business with God and we will celebrate one another doing business with God. So, Father, we come before you um, just with a quiet spirit asking that you would move in the hearts of men and women. Help us to remember all that you have done, all that you have provided for us. We remember your son, Jesus, and his gift of salvation, the forgiveness of our sin, the way to be made right with God. Thank you, God. Amen.